Welcome back to episode seven of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sabalski, author of Second Story Work. Thanks so much for joining us. This week, we're going to listen to chapter 20 and 21. When we left things off last week, we listened to episodes 17 through 19. Derek, Messi, Hecky, and Arlov had all went home for Christmas break, and when they returned back to Vancouver, they found out that their home had been robbed. This sets off a series of events that will forever change their lives. Please enjoy chapter 20 and 21. Chapter 20, October 4th, 2009. After the meal, Derek tried to pay the bill. Mandy insisted that they split it, which they did. They left the restaurant and began walking to her car. Would you like to go for a walk? She asked. There's this great little bakery a few blocks from here. You'll love it. Okay, answered Derek as he smiled and looked ahead. Tell me about your family, Derek. Um, my parents are, are good people. Very religious. You know, church every Sunday, strict, that kind of thing. Are you close with them? Mandy followed up. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. We try and talk every day. What's your dad like? My dad's the best man I know. He does right. He prays. He's loved one woman his whole life. He does carpentry and he always makes people things for free. Oh, that's neat, said Mandy. What about music? What about it? Asked Derek. Do you have a favorite band? Derek nodded. Hail the villain. Oh, I've never heard of them, replied Mandy. Why do you like them? Uh, Envy, mostly, replied Derek as he laughed. Their front man, Brian Crouch. He's a bit of a maniac. They opened for some buddies of mine back home and they actually signed a record deal this past spring. Very cool. Mandy nodded. Do you have any hobbies other than jealousy? Derek smiled. Not really. What about you? I do pottery. Really? That's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. What's the first thing you ever pottered? Asked Derek, unsure if he was getting the sentence structure right. Uh, It was a teapot for my sister. Oh, cool. Derek exclaimed. Did she like it? Mandy grinned and looked down at the ground like she was guilty of something. I'm not really sure. I never gave it to her. No? I decided I wanted to keep the first thing that I ever made. Derek nodded his head. That's okay. I get that. Do you have any other siblings? Nope. Just one younger sister. What about your folks? What are they like? Asked Derek. Mandy paused. She was unsure of how to answer the question. After a moment, she finally did. I lost my mom when I was 10. Oh, shit. I'm sorry to hear that. Mandy sighed. Yeah, it was hard. She was my best friend in the world. Jesus Christ. I can't even imagine. Mandy took a deep breath and looked down at the table. You know, Derek, I never had a chance to be a teenager. I never partied, never did drugs or any normal teenager stuff. I'm sure your father probably appreciated that. What's he like? Oh, Derek, he's just a big teenager. He plays video games. He gambles. He likes to party. He's fun. You'd like him. Like him? He sounds like me, Derek exclaimed once again. Mandy and Derek smiled at each other as they continued walking to the bakery. She gently took his hand and caressed it in hers. Derek felt all emotion fall over him. She looked up and over at him. The feeling of those eyes looking at him was more than he could handle. January 2009. Hecky opened the garage door and pulled outside in the Windstar. He drove the van back to Woodsworth and parked it on the side of the street. 
Messi, Arlov, and Derek stayed in the garage, staring down a dead body. It would be a matter of days before people noticed that Kent was missing, and they needed to make their moves by the time that happened. What do you guys think? Asked Derek. I think there's a fucking dead body in our garage. Arlov snapped back. Very perceptive, replied Derek. How'd they get rid of bodies on the wire? Messi asked. Which time? Arlov shot back. They got rid of a lot of fucking bodies. Ah, uh, the last time. Marlo. Oh, you want to start piling bodies in the vacants? Asked Arlov. Yes, Messi quickly answered. Jesus Christ, exclaimed Arlov. Where do you know of vacants in the city? We aren't exactly living in Baltimore. I'm going to put them in your empty head, joked Derek. I'll be honest, I've never seen the wire guys, said Messi, confessing. We could put them in some of the empty houses in the city. There's a lot of them. They're mostly in rich areas, though, Derek suggested. It's not a bad idea, said Messi. Boys, what can we really do here? Asked Arlov. Like, for real. Well, we do live on the coast, said Messi, nodding his head. You want to toss him in the ocean? Arlov wondered. What, no good? We could, but we'd have to hustle. Messi cut back in. Oh, let's fake his death. How do we fake his death? Asked Derek. He's already real dead. We used to do it when guys would pass out. We'd put them in the driver's seat of the Humvee and we'd push it. Then we'd yell for them to wake up. and It was just a goof. He ain't waking up, Messi, said Derek as he shook his head. Sarge, I fucking know that. Look, we get his car. Hear me out. We get his car. We put him in it and we push it into the ocean. Hecky walked back into the garage in mid-conversation. What are you guys talking about? Arlov quickly answered. Messi thinks we should push his car into the ocean and fake his death. That's fucking great, Messi. What? exclaimed Arlov. Hear me out, said Hecky. We keep him here for today, and Sarge and I can run over and grab his car right now. We park it here with him. Tomorrow night, we spin out of the city with my van and his car. His car goes over the edge on the sea to sky, and he's gone forever. I don't know, dude, said Derek as he thought about things. That's a lot of plates to spin for an entire day. Could definitely go sideways. Dude, I've been on those roads. There is nobody on them. We speed through there like a jackass in this guy's car. Five minutes later, it's submerged. The cops ever find it? Maybe they question a road crew. Maybe they don't. Maybe they saw him driving like an idiot. Maybe they didn't. But that's if they ever found him. Best case, they never do. Worst case, they find him the next day. They ask the road crew. Evidence is already destroyed. You really think it's that easy? Asked Arlov. It could be. If we do this, we got to get over to his house basically right now. Ah, fuck, yelled Derek. Okay, I'm in unless someone has a better idea. Arlov and Messi looked at each other and nodded in Hecky's direction. Hecky and Derek took off to Kent's parents, hoping and praying that the police weren't back doing surveillance. At around 2 a.m., the boys left the house. Arlov drove Hecky's van with Messi and Derek in the passenger seat. Hecky drove Kent's 2006 Pontiac G6 with Kent's body in the trunk. The caravan headed out of the city before merging onto the Sea to Sky Highway. They didn't speed. They didn't drive slowly. They didn't draw any attention. They just drove. They were gambling on there being no drivers on the road and no rubberneckers nearby. They were also betting on Hecky being able to drive through a construction zone without being stopped. He'd driven the road every night for months and claimed to have never seen a cop before. The boys were taking his word for it.
None of the boys had slept since Kent's death the night before. Still, Hecky seemed to be dealing with it best, even though he'd been the one that had put the dog down. After 40 minutes of driving, Hecky called Derek. Hello, Derek answered. Yo, pull in front and drive for about 10 minutes. When you see the rest stop, pull off to the side. Derek hung up his phone, relayed the message to the boys, and did as he was told. They checked their rearview mirrors to see Hecky pull over and shut off the lights. A few minutes later, they passed through a construction zone until they were met by a man with a stop sign. They waited while traffic zipped past them in the opposite direction. Derek called Hecky a few minutes later from the other side of the construction zone and told him about their holdup. Hecky instructed him to pull off about five kilometers up the road. Derek relayed the message to Arlov and they drove to the spot. He killed the lights and they waited. Ten minutes of waiting felt like an eternity. Derek knew that they weren't cut out to be criminals. He kept picturing Hecky in the G6 being chased by the police. There wasn't a plan B. This was it. If Hecky succeeded, they would have seconds to glove up, move Kent into the driver's seat, and push the car into Lion's Bay. Derek spotted the G6 headlights in the distance. Hecky was moving. Quick. The car approached the boys and began to slow down. The reflection of the brake lights could be seen on the wet highway surface. Hecky turned left and pulled up alongside the van close to the edge. The boys were going to push the car through a six-foot gap in the steel barrier, but it seemed unlikely that a car would drive through the opening without smearing paint or applying the brakes. So to counter that, Messi planned to sabotage the brakes. He went to work on them. Arlov ran out to the road and kept lookout. Go, he said. Hecky popped the trunk of Kent's car and it was on. Hecky and Derek each grabbed one end of Kent and walked his body over to the driver's side of the vehicle. Messi cut the brakes and jumped in the car from the passenger side to help guide the body into the driver's seat. With Kent's body in place, Derek passed the seatbelt to Messi. He clicked it in and jumped out of the vehicle. They shut the doors while Hecky called back to Arlov. How we looking? All clear, Arlov responded. Messi, Hecky, and Derek walked around the back of the car and began pushing it towards the water. They pushed with everything they had, but they could not get the car to move. Did you leave the parking brake on? asked Derek. Hecky winced and corrected his mistake. Weak, dude. Hey, no one's perfect, replied Hecky. He shut the door and walked to the back of the car. They pushed the car once again, and this time they were able to move it towards the edge. It scraped the rail before falling over the edge and crashing below. The sound of bubbling followed as the car slowly submerged into the icy waters. Hecky yelled out, Let's get the fuck out of here. The boys woke up the following morning at Hecky's parents. Derek was first up. He walked downstairs to the kitchen. He made himself a coffee and turned on the Vancouver Morning News to see if anything had been discovered at Kent's home or on the 99. No news. He walked out onto the patio and sat down on one of the chairs. His hands shook as he grabbed a fresh cigarette. He placed it between his teeth and lit it with a deep hull. His hands kept shaking. The patio door opened behind him and Messi walked out holding a cup of coffee. Remember our first morning here? Messi asked. Best day of my life. Same, replied Messi. I never thought we'd be doing this. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. You know what's really fucked up? Heck he did this. And you and I are the ones up losing sleep. Like he isn't broken up at all. Kid's out like a light up there. Well, Derek nodded as he thought for a second. To be fair, he was up until 6 a.m. torching clothes. Don't matter, replied Messi. If that's me, 
I'm not snoring on my folks' futon. And I've killed people before. Hecky's behavior had changed since the liquor store robbery. His confidence had grown. He had swagger. It scared Derek, and it shook Messi too. However, part of Derek was convinced that Hecky attacked Kent Sanderson for all the right reasons. Over the next few days, the boys took time off from work and enjoyed Squamish. After every sleepless night, Derek had the same routine. Wake up, make a pot of coffee, watch the news, chain smoke, and talk to Messi. The boys returned to Burnaby the following week, and Derek was able to start sleeping again. Hecky spent the next week convincing them that they'd done the right thing. Sanderson stole from them, stole from others, made people's lives miserable, and he was a drug addict. He preyed on people and didn't serve a purpose in this world. But every time Hecky reminded Derek of all these things, Derek thought to himself, how are we any different? A week after the body dump, Derek came home from work and found the boys sitting around the living room. There were two duffel bags on the coffee table and two suitcases on the floor. They invited Derek over to see what they'd taken from Kent. Hecky opened the first suitcase and placed it on the floor. He began pulling out stacks of money and piled them on the table. The bigger the pile, the wider his smile. After the money was all stacked up, Hecky began pulling out bricks and bags of drugs. Weed, cocaine, heroin, speed, MDMA, and Oxy. He paused for a moment to admire their haul before opening the second suitcase. He pulled out even more dope and money. After adding to the piles, Hecky finally opened the first of two duffel bags and set it on the floor. In the duffel bag were three Rolexes, as well as a few Tag Heuer watches, some diamond rings, earrings, gold chains, a Blu-ray player, their PS3 and Xbox, and an additional PS3 and Xbox. In the second duffel bag were some expensive bottles of liquor and a few articles of Armani clothing. The boys stood in silence, staring at their hall. They were in disbelief. Hecky counted off the money that was originally stolen from them and evened things out with Arlov, Derek, and himself. He then began dividing up new money into four piles. Messi looked at the drugs on the table. What are we doing with all this shit? Arlov shook his head, and Derek shrugged his shoulders. They had no idea where to sell drugs. Outside of the cocaine, they could have happily flushed the rest of it. I know a guy that would buy all this, said Hecky. Who? Derek then abruptly threw his hands in the air. No, you know what? I don't want to know. Don't worry, Sarge. It's a guy from my work, my usual coke go-to. You don't need a name. I could probably get us like maybe, I don't know, 20 grand for all this. Look, Hecky, if it's worth it to you, then go ahead, said Messi. Arlov and Derek both nodded their heads in agreement. How much money is that? Asked Arlov. I've counted 184. Thousand? Asked Messi. Thousand, yelled Hecky. Holy fuck, exclaimed Derek. That's 46,000 apiece, yelled Hecky. Holy shit, said Arlov. How the fuck are we going to hide this? Arlov's right, said Derek. This is excessive. He's got 70 grand he's got to deal with, and you and I have 50. This time we do the storage locker, Hecky suggested, and we sit on it until we can do something safe and smart. We got all this other shit to deal with too. We can't exactly wear this guy's diamonds out on the town. Sounds good, said Derek. We'll go out tomorrow and get a locker. You deal with all this other shit. Messi and Arlov nodded. Okay, I will, said Hecky as he scooped up the dope off the table and threw it in the duffel bags. Hecky walked out of the living room and up the stairs to his room. The boys began putting away the money, diamonds, and clothes. What are we going to do with these diamonds? 
asked Messi. I don't know, dude, replied Derek. Sell them on Craigslist? That's a good way to get robbed again, said Arlov. Besides, I thought you only used Craigslist to get laid. Usually, joked Derek. What are the odds that you finger the guy who robbed us and we find him right away? Asked Messi. Huge coincidence, Arlov agreed. You believe in that? Asked Messi. In coincidences? Of course I do, replied Arlov. Do you? Messi took a second. Maybe. What about you, Sarge? Do you? No, said Derek, matter-of-factly. You don't believe in coincidences, asked Arlov. I believe Derek caught himself for a second. I believe that there are consequences for actions, like this, for example. We'll pay for this, somehow. Coincidences are something that happen in the movies. They're a plot device. They're not a reality. You play with fire, you get burned, right? Asked Arlov. Yup, Derek agreed. Fire doesn't care who it burns. Chapter 21, January 2009. The next day, Derek met Messi at a self-storage depot on the Lowheed Highway. They rented a 5x8 storage unit, paid in full, and left. They arrived back at the house and found Hecky sitting on the couch, sipping on Knob Creek and watching First Blood. Did you get the unit? He asked. Yeah, said Derek. Paid in full. We might need a bigger one. Hecky pointed to a duffel bag sitting next to the couch. The bag was overflowing with stacks of money. Holy shit, Hecky. How much is this? Asked Derek. 38000 Jesus Christ, exclaimed Messi. How are we going to spend this without alarm bells? Asked Derek as his shoulder slumped in disbelief. We'll figure it out, Hecky said confidently. For now, we each pull 1000 a month and no one will suspect a thing. We already had police snooping though, said Messi. How long until they start piecing this shit together? Hecky and Derek woke up the next morning, boxed up the money, clothes, and jewelry before driving to the storage unit. On the way back to the house, Hecky pulled onto Woodsworth. In the distance, Derek could see Roby's car parked in front of the house. There were two people sitting inside. God damn, what do they want? Maybe they want more info about Kent, suggested Derek. I fucking hope so, man. Just make like you don't even see them. Hecky pulled his van into a parking spot a few cars back from Roby's Crown Vic. The boys got out of the van and walked towards Roby's car. As they inched closer to it, Derek could see Anna sitting in the passenger seat. They breezed past the car as if they didn't even notice them. Derek! It was Anna's voice. He turned casually and smiled. Hey, what are you guys up to? We're looking to talk to you about Kent Sanderson, said Anna. Who? asked Derek pretending to be puzzled as he walked toward the car and crouched down. Roby spoke up. The boy you fingered. Hecky snickered in the background and began to laugh. Derek gave him a playful push and smiled. You're fingering boys now, Sargi? Hecky shouted jokingly as Derek gave him another push. Roby tried to reel the boys back in. You said you'd seen him around your store. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, all the time. I'd see him out at the bar too once in a while. Roby looked at Hecky, then looked over at Derek. Your roommate's free to go inside. This won't take long. Hecky smiled. Take care, guys. He turned and began to walk inside. Derek knew the wheels inside his head were going to be turning. Where were you on the 17th? Asked Roby. The 17th was the night Hecky killed Kent. The 17th, said Derek, as he wondered for a moment. I think we went out that night. Yeah, we did. We went drinking. Where'd you go? Asked Roby. Uh, shark Club. Derek pondered for a moment. Actually... If I remember right, 
I think that kid might have been there. He was, said Anna. Why do you guys ask? Derek wondered as he smiled at Anna. Roby immediately interjected. His parents reported him missing. Oh, shit, said Derek as he snapped his head in Roby's direction. Really? Derek, did you see him talking with anyone? Anna asked. Well, it's a club. So yeah, he was talking to a bunch of different people. He was at a pretty big table, I think. Anyone stand out to you? Roby wondered. Not really. To be honest with you, it was a table of people I don't really associate with. Not your crowd? Asked Roby. Nah, I like older women. Derek grinned at Anna. Anna laughed nervously as Derek continued to smile at her. Derek knew that he was getting to her, and Roby didn't like it. Okay, we'll be in touch. Derek began to walk back towards the house. I hope so. Bye, Anna. Anna waved as Derek walked up to the front door and entered. Roby started the car and rolled up the windows. You know that kid's bad news. You think so? Anna asked. He ain't looking to fall in love. Neither am I, Anna replied. Inside the house, before Derek had even shut the door, Hecky was in his face. He grabbed his shirt and pushed Derek into the back of the front door. You fucking idiot. You told them we were there? Yelled Hecky. Derek pushed back and began to yell. They knew before I even told them. You don't think the first fucking thing they did was check who had seen him last? He's missing. They asked fucking questions. Hecky got right into Derek's face. They ask and you lie. That's how we stay out of this shit. No, 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 no. Derek put his finger up. I lie, they call me on it, and then I'm fucked. I didn't draw any suspicions. I'm just some kid who parties too much and saw this other kid a few times. Calm the fuck down. Look, Sarge, if you go down, I'm not going down with you. Derek snickered. And you're the guy that did this guy. The RCMP ramped up their search for Kent. His face was plastered in the papers, on the news, and his name was everywhere. No one knew where he was. Then, a bombshell. The police announced that Kent Sanderson was a member of a Vancouver gang called the ROP, who were commonly referred to as the Jankers. They were a gang made up primarily of young, white ex-convicts. After the announcement, the boys met for dinner at the Soho. They arrived as a group and walked inside, choosing a booth near the back corner. They took their seats, ordered six pounds of chicken wings and four pints of Russell cream ale. The waitress left and Arlov was the first to state the obvious. The fucking ROP? What are we going to do? Slow your roll, Arlov, said Hecky. What do they know? What do they really fucking know? What if someone saw us or something? I don't know, suggested Arlov. Now we got a gang and the cops after us? Look, said Hecky, trying to reason with Arlov. If it comes down to it, I'll fall on the sword for you guys. I doubt that, said Messi. I love you guys, continued Hecky. I'd do anything for you, even if it means a painful existence to me. Derek knew that Arlov was buying Hecky's sincerity, but he raised his eyebrow to Messi. There wasn't a bone in Derek's body that believed Hecky wouldn't sell them out for his own protection. Guys, look, said Derek. They don't have shit. There's nothing in the car. Stop worrying. That's what will sink us. No pun intended. Just stick together and we don't bring it up again. The boys nodded in agreement. A few days after the ROP press conference, Hecky and Derek were at home when there was a knock at the door. Hecky answered and found Roby and Anna holding a book lined with profiles of ROP members. He let them in the house and showed them into the living room. Anna sat beside Derek and Roby sat across from him. Derek sat up straight and greeted them. Hey guys, how are you? I'm okay, kid, said Roby. 
I'm good, replied Anna. What can I do for you? Asked Derek as he looked over at Hecky. Hecky began to sweat, his face clammy and ruddy. He quickly excused himself and walked upstairs. Derek knew that he was going to listen from the top of the stairs. His biggest fears were coming true. The cops were investigating Derek. Roby threw the book of ROP pictures on the coffee table and opened to the first page. Have a look and see if you recognize anybody. Okay, Derek nodded. Do you guys want a drink or anything? All good. Just look, said Roby as he pressed his hand on the book. Derek began scanning the pages. It wasn't like the book from before. There were only 14 pages, each page displaying a member's picture as well as their criminal history. Derek pointed at a picture. Him. I've seen him before. Roby pulled out his pen and notepad and began writing. Where? asked Anna. My store? A few times. I think he might have been at Shark Club too. Good, said Roby. I'm going to grab something from the car. He stood up and excused himself. Anna looked at Derek and smiled. He smiled back and kept looking through the book. He didn't recognize any other men. Anna closed the book and set it down. Roby walked inside carrying a laptop bag and sat back down on the couch. You probably don't know this, but Kent lived a few blocks from here. Oh, really? I had no idea, said Derek as he feigned surprise. I grabbed this because I wanted to show you a larger database of gang members from other crews. Tell me if any of these guys look familiar. Other crews? How many gangs are there? Asked Derek. 12 that we would categorize as gangs, if you count the ROP. But at any one time, we guess there's probably like 130 or so in greater Vancouver. A lot of these gangs are what we call puppet crews. So you want me to look at every gangster in Vancouver? Derek wondered. Every gangster that has a documented rivalry with the ROP, yeah. Okay, I get it. For the next 20 minutes, Derek looked at pictures of gangsters. Roby stepped outside for a cigarette. As he shut the door, Derek turned to Anna. Is there like a gang unit or something that handles this stuff? He borrowed these files from the Vancouver Gang Task Force, and then a few other things from Surrey PD. He's fairly certain that a rival gang has done something to this kid. These guys have been killing each other all over Van for at least a year and a half. And we really need it to stop because innocent people are starting to get killed. Derek nodded and thought to himself for a second. You mean the Surrey 6? Yes. Please keep looking, Derek. The inner workings of the police aren't your concern right now. Sorry, Anna. Derek turned and smiled. He continued to look through the pictures. He recognized some men from the news. Jamie, Jared, and Jonathan Bacon were pretty well known around the greater Vancouver area. Roby came back inside and sat across from Derek on the couch. They sat in silence as Derek stared at pictures. He finished and Roby pressed on with the questions. Did you recognize any of them? Just the Bacon brothers. But I only ever saw them on the news. You haven't seen any of these faces around here at your store? Roby followed up. Not that I can recall. Derek, why did Kent stick out? Anna asked. Derek thought for a moment. When he came through, he treated my cashier like shit. I always remember people like that. Okay. I don't know that I have any other questions. Do you have any, Anna? Anna looked at Roby. I don't think so. All right, Derek. I think we're done. Roby stood up and he and Anna began to walk towards the exit. I'm really sorry I couldn't be of more help. Good luck. Derek walked Roby and Anna to the front door and they shook hands before Derek led them outside. He walked back into the kitchen. Hecky opened his bedroom door and stomped down the stairs. Derek grabbed two beers from the fridge just as Hecky walked into the kitchen. Derek popped open the beers, walked over to the couch, and sat down. Hecky sat across from him and handed over the beer. 
Hecky took one look at Derek and had a sip. He was out of breath and his jaw was clicking. Did you bump? Derek wondered. A little? Dude, it's early. Are you okay? No, Sarge. I'm not fucking okay. Outside, Derek announced. Hecky and Derek walked out to the backyard and sat down. Hecky, you weren't down here. We're not suspects. In their minds, they just extracted everything they could from me. So drink your beer, smoke your cigs, and stop doing coke at 10 a.m. Sarge, I don't like this. Derek lit a cigarette. What did you expect? That we'd just go unnoticed? That you could rob a store and kill a guy and nothing would happen? No, Sarge, but I didn't plan on this happening. It's not like we knew that he was a gangster. He was just some prick that ripped us off. You're right, Hecky. It wasn't expected. But this, today, this interrogation, this was. I knew the second that you told me that you would rob me, that this would happen. And here we are. A few days later, Hecky was offered a job in Whistler on a movie called Hot Tub Time Machine. He took it to get away from the craziness of the house. The first night Hecky was away, the boys met after work at a local bowling alley. They sat down at a table with a few pitchers while they waited for a lane to open up. Bowling wasn't Derek's first priority. He was just looking to get smashed and forget about the constant stress Hecky was causing. When I can, I'm moving away from stressy, said Messi. Yep, said Arlov in agreement. Are you guys moving out together? Derek wondered. They looked at each other and shook their heads no. Well, we've got the money to do it, said Derek. Might be nice to have our own space. Don't paint this in any other light other than the one it is, said Messi. It's stressy, man. I fucking, I can't live with him anymore. Same, said Arlov. Speaking of, what is the police situation right now? <sighs> well, I was being looked at as the lead. I think they're done now. I've probably given them all that I can. Well, that's good, said Messi. So Stressy should be able to cool off soon? Yeah, Derek nodded. Stressy should be stress-free upon his return. Thank God, Arlov announced. I just thought he turned a corner and was becoming fun, but Jesus, he turned three corners and he's back to where he was. Guys, can we hold off on the moving out talk, said Derek. Just give Hecky a chance to cool off. It's fine by me, said Messi, but if push comes to shove, I'm going to push and shove. For two weeks... They kept things quiet and stayed out of harm's way as the city exploded into a gang war. The United Nations and Red Scorpions were the factions involved. On February 6th, Red Scorpion Kevin LeClaire was gunned down in his truck in the Thunderbird Mall parking lot. It was in broad daylight. Derek worked the day before Hecky was set to come back from Squamish. It was Tuesday, February 10th, and he had the night shift. He was stocking the beer cooler when he noticed Anna through the cooler door Derek exited onto the store floor. Anna didn't see him until he walked towards his office, two aisles over from her. Derek, he turned and looked. Sergeant Johnson, how are you? They smiled at each other. Call me Anna, she said as she smiled nervously. I'm good, Derek. How are you? I'm okay. Working hard, you know. Can I help you with anything? Uh, maybe you can, yeah. Maybe a few wine recommendations. I'd love to. Are you pairing these wines with anything? Well, I cook a lot of fish and pasta. Okay, cool. Follow me. Anna followed Derek as he walked over to the Italian section. He studied a few wines, pulled a bottle from the shelf, and handed it to Anna. This is called Santa Cristina Toscana. 
It's a mix of a couple different things. Okay. What does that mean? Anna smiled. Uh, basically, it pairs great with pasta with red sauce. Oh, great. Okay, said Anna. Now let's find you something to pair with fish. Derek looked back at her and smiled. What kind of fish are we talking about? Salmon, she replied. Okay, salmon. Derek took another quick look around the store. Road 13. Derek led her to the BC Wines and grabbed a bottle of Road 13. You'll love this. It's got orange overtones and that'll blend beautifully. Anna took the bottle from Derek. She studied it and smiled. These are expensive, eh? Ah, it's alcohol in Canada. It's always overpriced. We're the country that fun forgot. Is this the stuff you buy regularly? Asked Anna. <laughs> I wish, replied Derek. I appreciate all your help, Derek. You're very good at your job. Anna walked towards the cash. It was the first time Derek had seen her in street clothes. She had a beautiful pear-shaped body and legs for days. As he watched her, Hecky approached Derek from the side. What the fuck was that about? Fuck! exclaimed Derek. Where the fuck did you come from? I just got into town. I was coming to grab beer. Why were you talking to that axe wound? She's cool, man. We we're flirting. Calm down. As Derek finished his sentence, Anna looked back towards him and he waved goodbye. She waved and smiled. Hecky glared at Derek as Anna left the store. After a few minutes, Hecky exited the store and went next door to the pub to have a few drinks. Derek finished his shift, locked up, and went to meet him. How goes it? Asked Hecky. Good, man. Everyone's doing their own thing. How was the shoot? Oh, it was a blast. Hung out a bit with Craig Robinson. He's awesome. That's cool, dude. Good. You got a line on your next job? I do, Hecky nodded. But it's not a shoot. Oh, fuck. What is it? Asked Derek as he motioned to the bartender to bring him a drink. I want to do a food truck thing. I think it could work. And I think we could put our money through it. Really? Asked Derek as he took a drink. What about startup cash? Hecky nodded his head. Yeah. Well, if we could each get 10K from our parents, we could get close. I figure it's probably about 50,000 for a startup. And we've definitely got an extra 10 lying around. My parents offered to put up 10. And you know what? I got this whole presentation for you. You're going to love it. Wow. Derek was surprised. I think mine might do a small loan. Maybe if I got back to them quick. Sarge, even if we bleed money for a year, we just put our own cash through until we turn a profit. I honestly think that with your skills, we can make this thing work. Derek thought for a moment as Hecky continued. Do you think you can get the boys on board? If it means they can touch their money, they'll get on board. Okay said Hecky. Well, let's just put the idea on the table and we'll see what they say. They drove home. When they arrived at the house, Arlov and Messi were sitting on the couch watching Rocky Balboa. Hecky ran upstairs and threw his luggage in his bedroom. Messi greeted Derek. How stressy. He's good, Derek laughed. Seems relaxed, actually. Hecky walked into the room and sat down. How's it going? He asked. The boys responded by nodding their heads and smiling. You want to go for a smoke? No, the movie's almost over responded Arlov. Derek walked over to the whiteboard on the wall and wrote in dry erase marker, money talk, backyard. I really think you guys should. Derek pointed to the whiteboard. Yeah, I'll go, said Messi. He stood up along with Hecky and Derek. Messi grabbed Arlov by the shirt and pulled him to his feet. They walked out to the backyard. Hecky and Derek lit cigarettes and sat down. Arlov closed the door and Hecky began. All right, guys, we all want nice legal money. 
So what I'm proposing is that we start our own food truck. Now, before you shoot this thing down, hear me out. We probably need about 50 grand to start. And my parents have already offered up 10. Holy shit, said Messi. I know, right? Now, what I propose is that you guys try and get the same loan from your folks. Try getting 10K and promise to repay it in six months. That would leave us with about 10K outstanding. I just made six grand after taxes for two weeks of work. So on paper, this whole thing would look legit. We each put in the extra startup costs and we're looking at each being 25% shareholders. Um, so if we do this, and it's a big F, who runs it? Asked Arlov. Well, I don't have a job, so I could work there every day. And Messi, you make minimum wage, so it's not possible to believe that you'd quit your job to work the truck. Hecky paused and smiled. Guys, we could do five days a week and Arlov and Sarge do Saturdays. Or we could just be an office park truck and work Monday to Friday. Pay Messi and I a wage plus our share. Don't we need permits and shit to run a food truck? Asked Eric. We do, replied Hecky. I've already submitted our application for one. It's 1100 bucks a year. Where are we planning to get a truck? Arlov wondered. So I looked at buying one, but it's too much cash up front, said Hecky. I think we'd be best to lease with some type of an option to buy. Uh, who's going to make the food? Asked Messi. I can't cook for shit. Sarge can prepare the meals in the evenings and we just have to assemble them. It's pretty easy to make a sandwich when the stuff's prepared. So we would just do sandwiches or we would do other stuff too? Messi began to get interested. Well, I think soup and sandwiches would probably be best, replied Hecky. We have only one big issue. Legally, we have to rent kitchen space to prep the food. Vancouver doesn't allow cooking on a truck. Oh, what's that cost? Asked Arlov. 2500 bucks a month. But if we do this right, maybe we grow it, we sell it. Who knows? Whatever. It's an opportunity. What do you guys think? You got a name? Asked Derek. The boys sat in silence for a minute before Messi spoke up. Between the buns. I was thinking meat beaters, Arlov suggested. Gross, Derek shot back. Maybe this is something we need to sleep on. How do you guys feel otherwise? Are you in? Asked Hecky. I'm in, said Messi. Let me think on it, said Arlov. Thanks so much for listening to episode seven of Second Story Work, the novel. If you like my work, please give me a follow on Facebook at author Josh Sabalski, on Instagram at the same handle, as well as on Twitter at author J Sabalski. I also host a podcast called Second Story with my good friend Corey Leckie. In the show, we interview guests who have gone through a major change in their life that has sent them on a different direction. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care.